had to go to the doctor today because my normal doctor wanted me to get checked out for like my freckles and my moles. So he sends me mm-hmm. to a dermatologist and the dermatologist is looking over me and the der- dermatologist like, you know, he just, he's looking here, looking there. He's kind of quiet for a few minutes and he goes, yeah, you're one moly guy. And I'm thinking to myself, did he go for the school for this? <laughs> you know, is it like, I was like, is re- that, that's your, that's your professional opinion. You're one moly guy. You might just have the most moles. That, that's possible. You know, and I'd be like, I'm not self-conscious or anything like that. It's just, and, and on a certain level, you know, I do appreciate the humor. But at the same time, it's not something you really expect to hear out of a doctor. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 177 of the Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. I should have said welcome back because your feed was not playing tricks on you. The website was not playing tricks on you. I have taken a whopping three weeks off from all things content related uh, and and embraced something that I came to call May Madness. I watched a lot of sports. I... Uh, reconvened with a lot of old friends. I spent time with some new friends. I spent a lot of time with family and I got out and saw a little bit more of the world around me. And uh, I've still got some to go. And you know what, folks, I do not regret a single moment of that. It's, um, it, it's been strange to take a little bit of time away from film. Um, but all, all the same, um, as much fun as hot dogs always is, um, the, the moment that ended, uh, I didn't really feel like I was missing a lot. There haven't been those those small movies that usually pull me through the summer, and uh, the cheeseburgers haven't really been that delicious looking just yet. If we get past Guardians and uh, wait around for Wonder Woman, I don't know about you folks, but uh, I wasn't really lured by um, you know Baywatch or the Pirates or or anything of the like. So I, I decided, you know what, I was just going to take a little vacation. So I do thank you for tuning in after the little vacation and uh, you've come at an opportune time because episode 177 is the birthday show where I go back and talk about uh, a dear favorite of mine in my own personal top 10. But of course, I cannot do that alone. So we need a guest at this little birthday party of mine. And the guest is a very, very good friend, um, family here on the show. I, I, you know, speaking of people who I should be paying, uh, this is a person who I should be sending many, many large checks to and probably, you know, sponsoring uh, visas and citizenship papers and such and get him <laughs> up to Canada. He is the brains behind the unnamed movie podcast, Tump. It's not, called Tump. Not to be confused with Trump. Um, no, no, we're, we're, we're keeping that brand. We're not losing it just because of you him. put a lot of work into that branding, man. You can't lose it now just for one demagogue. That voice is Andrew Robinson live across the wire from Jamaica in the Caribbean. How are you tonight, sir? I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm, I'm nursing some sinusitis, but I'm surviving and I'm here for you. But are you moly? Cause it's just, I'm, I'm not moly. That's good to know. I, I, I got a doctor. He can look you over. 
I feel I feel a, a Mike Myers joke coming up in my head now. <laughs> so on the birthday episode 177, we will be discussing Out of Sight. We will be flipping the record over to play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about Andrew. This is Know Your Enemy. Get comfy, folks. This is going to take a minute. All the way back on episode 18, where we discussed the Angelina Jolie movie, Salt, we learned that the first movie Andrew had ever seen in a theater was The Nightmare Before Christmas. The last movie he'd seen at the time was The Long Goodbye. The worst film he claimed at the time, although he's seen some things since, was The Man Who Fell to Earth. The unseen classic or essential was Schindler's List. He's since seen it. And the films, plural, he wished he'd made was Reservoir Dogs, because that movie's badass, and Predators, because he can do that shit better. Then, on episode 67, we discover we discussed Premium Rush, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie. We learn the movie that everybody else hates that he digs is Speed Racer. I concurred. The film everybody else likes he does not is Rear Window. The last film to make him cry was The Fountain. For reasons I still don't entirely understand. He would be played in the movie of his life by Jason Siegel, and the movie he was watching next was the Ingmar Bergman Seventh Seal. Then on episode 79, where we just call it the infamous FP episode, the film... For the ducks! For the ducks, yes, yes. Get out your (laughs) nigga boots. Uh, The film that made his love of film turn a corner was The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. His date movies, plural, because he's a playa, were Ray and The Heartbreak Kid. His sick day movie is The Blues Brothers. The film that left him speechless, again, was Schindler's List. His epitaph was Let's Go Someplace Like Bolivia. And that was that. Finally, on episode 148, where we discussed Beast of No Nation, the film he really digs, but he never really wanted to watch again, was Happiness. And then I stopped making notes. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the film that always made him laugh. Do you remember? I, I don't recall. I'm going to take a guess and say Blazing Saddles. That was probably, yes. A film that genuinely freaks you out. Death Proof. Death Proof, okay. Uh, your favorite movie soundtrack? Um, I, I'm going to, it's kind of iffy, but I'm going to guess High Fidelity. Sure, let's go with that. And uh, Oh, wait, no, I remember. I remember now. That one was the, the Quadrophenia movie because yes. I love that album, but I don't like that movie. Okay, right. <laughs> and then the film you love, but nobody else has heard of. Um, I think I said Close Curtain. You did. The you did. Panahi film. There we go. <laughs> this is what happens when I take three weeks off, people. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay, so time legitimately for round five. The seldom heard round five of Know Your Enemy. Andrew Robinson, when you go to a theater, and I'm assuming that this the answer to this is not Carob, and I should know the answer to this because I've gone to a theater with you several times, where do you prefer to sit? Well, I, I think when I'm with you up up at the festival, like I kind of take your guidance in oh, your, there's your, that's, your, that's your first problem. in your well-versed knowledge Stop of your it. rooms that you're entering. Um, <laughs> um, but generally, I'm I'm kind of a, a mid-room 
guy. Like I tend to kind of just walk down. I don't count. Like I just kind of walk down until I feel comfortable, like distance wise, and then go straight for the middle of the row. Hmm. So you're middle, middle. Yeah, I'm, I'm middle, middle. It, it depends on the room. Like for example, out here, we don't have theater seating. So I don't have to worry about the height issue. Um, so yeah, like in Trinidad, I remember I used to walk up to like almost the back row because it was theater seating and I wanted to be higher because of the screen. Okay. Okay. I get that. See, but the, the, the thing that would make, okay. The thing that I, I, I don't always want to subscribe to with middle middle is you're in there, you know, like if, if you, first of all, if somebody is in, in your eye line and they're like dicking about with their phone. You're, you're going to see it. There's, there's no way that they're not in your eye line because the entire auditorium, the, the entire front half of the auditorium is in your eye line for starters. But the other thing I, I've always said is I'm always kind of thinking I'm going to like – I'm going to need to use the men's in the middle of this movie. No, that does, that shouldn't be happening. You, oh, well, you should have I, I evacuated yourself you know, like before. I, I, try, I either try to hold it or I go before. But I always have this fear in my head of like you know if I got to go, I'm going to like disrupt a whole aisle. You see, I'm the opposite. I'm so confident in my lack of need to go or my ability to hold it <laughs> that I don't want to be the one that you have to harass to leave. Uh, okay, okay. So any reason for middle middle? Just like you want – you just basically want to be – like you want the film to fill your vision and kind of be in the middle of where all the speakers are? Oh, no. Speakers aren't 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 the best thing about my theater. We've spoken about this, haven't we? Yes. Um um no i I think it's just a comfort thing like i mean the only addendum to my ruling is stay away from people um (laughs) like you know if you go into the theater and there's only like 20 people there yeah if they've taken the spot then i just move a few spots down you know it's next if you could go on a date with any movie character who would it be um so i would have to select anna morales and this is the lovely Jessica Chastain from A Most Violent Year. Oh, I want to marry her. You right? badass. Okay. <laughs> she Tell- needs because because I as I've been discussing with my co-host Damien for the last year and a half, we need women to guide us the right way, and I think she's the one. <laughs> yeah. Because I need to stop making bad decisions. Yeah. She knows the right decisions. Yes, she does. I feel like a most violent year went criminally underseen, like capital well, C criminally underseen. Tell people about this character. Like I, I, everybody knows who Jessica Chastain is, but she's, she's very distinct in this movie. Um, she's Oscar Isaac's wife, who is a businessman who's trying to step up his business game. And she does the accounts for him. And it's obvious that she's like the daughter of a mob family. So she knows how to do the books. Well, in the right ways, yeah, and she know, and she she doesn't have those moral problems with making questionable decisions. She just knows how to decide, which is what we need in life. We need someone who will decide and just take us down that road. Yeah, um, and if you if you thought for a second you're cold blooded, she's worse. She's she knows how to get it done in in a in a glorious way. Like it's it's almost like a lot of times she brings to mind. Um, Michelle Pfeiffer in Scarface, but if that character, w- like you know, could basically like spit nickels, yeah, you know, oh man, okay, that is an interesting choice of why, why, just because oh, you want to be like shown the way, 
basically. Look, look, I'm willing to give it all up. I know she knows the right way to go. Okay. All right. I, I am not here to argue. And you know what? Like she, she plays that kind of character really, really well. Like, um, did you see, um, what was the movie from last year where she was, um, she was a lobbyist. Miss Sloan. Sloan. Did you see Miss Sloan? I haven't seen it yet. I oh, want to watch it. So good. She's so good in that movie. Like, the, like weirdly enough, when I saw this question, I just said, which Jessica Chastain character do I want? <laughs> very very quickly become the kind of actor where she's in a movie and i go like we have a standing relationship she she plays i go i did you go and see the zookeeper's wife or whatever that was i did I was did. it any good uh it's it's problematic but she's good in it <laughs> no serious like it's basically my biggest problem with it was that i i read the book and it's a oh, okay. very, very sprawling book. So to try and turn that into a two-hour movie was going to be tough anyway. So it, it told it told a decent story, but it, the, the actual reality of it is is far, far more interesting. But again, she's great in it. So, you know, she play, I go. It, it works out well. Um, yeah. She shows you the way. Exactly. What is the dirtiest film you've ever seen? Um, so I was thinking about this, and I came up with two films, um, and for two different reasons. Okay. Um, both sex-related, okay. but two different reasons. Sure. Um, one is dirty, not dirty in the sense like shameful or anything, but it's one of those kind of movies where when I'm watching it, I don't want other people around me, and I've actually only seen it the one time, and it's one of those things about it that I haven't gone back to, and it's Gaspar Noe's... Um, irreversible and it's because of that infamous rape scene that goes like i've seen it the one time and i think that movie is great yes but it's one of those things where that scene is so graphic and rough that you know you don't want to go back to it you know you don't have to deal with the conversation yeah why are you putting yourself through this yeah right um and that's one of them um the other one that came to mind is an anime um, a famous anime by the name of Ninja Scroll. I'm assuming you've never heard of this. This is true. Um, <laughs> um, and I saw this for the very first time when I was 18 and I just got into college and I literally bought the movie blind and I was in my dorm room like watching it on a tiny screen only to discover that this is the kind of movie that is a balls-to-the-wall samurai action movie, which is what I thought it was. But it also has like tentacle porn in it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome like 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 i've seen animes where women are depicted poorly and with sex objects and all sorts of things um but not so much where like they're seductresses and they're going all the way with the pornish elements of it and like it's a movie i still have it on the shelf but i don't really watch it that often (laughs) which is a crazy like if you're into like samurai action anime it is that right but there's also that other section there that you'll see when you watch this movie. <laughs> you you say when, as if I'm going to go on this. Uh, yeah, no, good choices both. Uh, what is your favorite black and white film, sir? So I feel weird about answering this one because I really can't think of one that I want to put above them all. Um, but what I did do, which is completely random and lackadaisical, was I went to Letterboxd and I ranked all of my movies by rating because I tend to rate all of my movies. Sure. Um, and I just picked the top three that were black and white, and I'm going to talk about them. Okay. <laughs> um, Witness for the Prosecution, the 1957 film by nice. Billy Wilder. Yes, I yes. adore that movie. 
Um, I everyone talks about it. I love that shot where you see um, our main character with his monocle and glaring at the <laughs> glaring at his <laughs> his his um, defendant on the stand, and he's like, "I am putting you under the lights, kid." Yes, <laughs> um, which is great. Um, Woody Allen's 1979 Manhattan, a movie I adore. It's it, it, people people are more and more talking about it in the social context, and there's definitely a lot happening in there. But that doesn't stop it from being a movie I actually enjoy watching. Right, right. The the comedy of it, the the filmmaking of it, the it's on point and it's great. Okay. Um, and also the Sidney Lumet 1964 movie Failsafe, which I feel is less and less watched out of all the other ones on this list. Um, um, I think I, oh, I've seen it, but I've forgotten about it. Is that the one about, that's not the one about the pawnbroker, is it? No, no, no. This is pretty much the serious dramatic version of Dr. Strangelove. Oh, I have um, not seen this movie. That sounds it's, good. It, it is great. It's, it has Walter Matthau. It has Henry Fonda. Um, and it's pretty much the same subject. It's, um, the, the, the doomsday is going on. The bombs are right beside Russia and America. And accidentally, one of the planes get commands to go through. And it takes a dramatic tone to it, as opposed to Dr. Strangelove, which is satire completely. Um, and you see Henry Fonda, who plays the, the president of America, is trying to negotiate, being like, oops, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how to kind of get it right. And it is a wonderful movie. Now, between that and Doctor Strangelove, though, like because because that's that's you know high company right there. What what sets it because Strangelove is also black and white. What sets yes, it, it apart from the from the Kubrick movie that makes you kind of reach for that one first? Um, I think it might just be some of some of the framing. So, so Kubrick's film is wonderful and it really should have been mentioned in this list. Um, Dr. Strangelove. Actually, I, I love that movie. I, I've seen it repeatedly. Um, I love, especially the war room shots in Dr. Strangelove. Uh-huh. Um, what I love in Failsafe as it relates to like the cinematography are scenes of not the war room, but scenes of just there's the Walter Matthau scenes are mainly done like almost a news panel. Okay. Most of those scenes are just wonderful to watch. Um, Sidney Lumet, he knows how to how to shoot a scene. He does. He's. I feel like though he's become sort of become underrated um, since his death. I kind of feel like there's a whole generation of filmgoers who don't really appreciate Lumet and what he was able to do. Like this is a guy, this is a man whose career began with 12 angry men and concluded with before the devil knows you're dead. And they're both incredible movies and there's so many awesome films in between. Um, but, but he's a name. He's one of these names that a lot of people, they, they recognize the name, but they don't necessarily associate it with the work. Mm-hmm. So, um, and you know, and, and and thank you though for reminding me. I I have had failsafe on my like to watch list. Lament in general, he's one of those guys who every month when TCM releases their schedule, I just I do like he's a, that guy. Yeah, no, I do like no, I do a, I do a control search on on Lament for like the whole month and see if they're playing anything that I've never seen. Um, and I just I've I've been without for a little while, so thank you for the reminder. And last but not least, what is a film that nobody would expect you to like? 
But you so do. you're going to say, horseshit, I expect you to like this. Well, that's because we talk a lot. <laughs> but I find more and more like talking to people, like they will figure out really early that I'm a movie person. And usually they'll translate that to like Oscar talk and um, all sorts of that stuff. I don't know if that's the same for you. Right. But what a lot of people I find are more and more surprised every time I mention that it's one of my favorite things in movies. It's musicals. People are so surprised that I'm a musical person. (laughs) I don't think I knew that. Really? Like between my car. I mean, I know the only thing you think I shout to your wife is shitty movie recommendations to to punish you. Pretty much. Right. Yeah. You know, (laughs) watch Bloodsport again. You didn't get it. Watch Bloodsport again. No, um, then I I do also adore musicals. The only difference is I don't get to see the stage versions, oh, but that's okay. fine. Right. <laughs> um, like for example, I'm actually a semi big fan of um, the Les Misérables movie that came out oh, a few years back. No, no, but, no. But I've never seen the stage versions. Okay, all right. I, see, I okay, okay. Actually, now, okay, you're you've actually hit something on the head. That I've been saying for quite some time. So, th- actually, you are you are my exhibit. You will be my exhibit A for a long, long time. Because you'll be like he's wrong. <laughs> no, 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 no. Actually, not at all. I so many, many times I get into conversations with the misses about this musical adaptation or that musical adaptation, uh, remakes, you name it. All of these ones that they're doing for TV, and the the argument that i keep putting forward anytime uh lindsay says this isn't good enough or that isn't good enough or the old one was better or so on or the stage version was better i usually say this is not for you you have seen all of these better versions and sometimes you've been in a theater and watched this play out in front of you this is for a new generation who hasn't had this experience and now you will be my exhibit a of that because i will be able to say see andrew's never seen been in a theater and seen les mis so when he saw that come to life he quite appreciated it like for example recently i saw for the very first time um funny face um with audrey hepburn and fred astaire and i i I didn't think it was my favorite musical, but I definitely liked it a real lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, I think it's one of those things where, like, you put on a musical and I'm like, I'm all right. <laughs> all right. Um, but we are going to move on. And this is normally where we would talk about a brand new film. Um, but as much as I want to talk about Pirates or Alien Covenant, I'm just going to skip all that and spend the birthday show talking about one of my all-time favorite films. We're going to go back almost 20 years and talk about out of sight right after this it's your thing do what you want to do i can't tell you who to sock it to it's your thing do what you want to do i can't tell you who to sock it to Out of Sight, released in 1998, was directed by Steven Soderbergh. It was written by Scott Frank, based on the novel by Elmore Leonard. It stars George Clooney, Jennifer Lopez, Don Cheadle, Ving Rhames, Viola Davis, Dennis Farina, Michael Keaton, Luis Guzman, Steve Zahn, Catherine Keener, and Albert Brooks. It's about Jack Foley, that's George Clooney. He's a successful bank robber who is hell-bent not to grow old in prison. 
and as his plans for an escape unfold, his path crosses with U.S. Marshal Karen Sisko. That's J-Lo. While she is determined to bring him to justice, like a common crook that he is, neither Jack nor Karen can deny that something is going on between them. And while the film keeps slipping us back and forth in time to show us Jack's prison life, it also pulls us forward to a huge score in Detroit, where prison rival played by Don Cheadle is up to execute a diamond heist with or without Jack's help. That is, unless Karen has something to say about it first. Out of Sight was a commercial flop when it opened 19 summers ago. While it was critically praised, audiences that year were far more interested in watching giant lizards stomp on New York, comets and asteroids hit the Earth, and Ben Stiller chase after Cameron Diaz. But between then and now, something happened. People found this movie, and they found it again, and again, and again, until now, we've reached a point where this has become something of a pop culture classic. So, pop quiz, hotshot. How did that happen? What is it about this movie that has allowed it to grow and grow in the public estimation, despite getting met with a multiplex shrug? Um, I always like to put it down to similar things becoming popular. So, I mean, the easiest one to pick out is a few years after um, the two, George Clooney and Steven Soderbergh, worked again doing Ocean's Eleven, which was a fairly popular franchise. Do you remember that movie? I don't know how many oh, yeah. do. Yes, I do. I love those movies. <laughs> right? Love them. If, they, yeah. if, they, if, I, if I find them on TV, I'm not going anywhere. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, all all of them, too. I will not hear any ill talk of Ocean's 12. Can, can, can we come to an agreement that 12 is the best? Absolutely. Okay, thank you. I just want to make sure that's clear and out there. So we've, we've, we've put it there in the world. Anyone who disagrees, you're wrong. <laughs> Ocean's 12 is the best of the, of the trilogy. Um, the... And and that movie kind of made that kind of ecosystem very popular. Like, we can talk about the 20 other movies that took off because of how popular Ocean's Eleven became. Um, with that cast of characters, with the style of filmmaking, as well as just the style of comedy. And slowly but surely, people started going, but you could have seen that a few years back here in Out of Sight. And just as the franchise grew and grew and got bigger and bigger that that note came to everyone who loved it just going hey go watch out of sight it's a really good movie um you got george clooney doing sort of similar things with the same sort of type of filmmaking the same sort of type of comedy um and it works and i'd like to put it on as that i mean it could be other things with that we tend to romanticize movies as they get older as much as people go ape shit over the current blockbuster that's going crazy in the in the theater it's still when we see the older nuggets we're like you guys missed it we should all love it together now (laughs) that's a that's a yeah those are all i'd say very very sound arguments um i I think to answer my own question I, i know part of it comes down to uh lopez who this is before she was j-lo like she was really not uh, a pop star yet that was still i don't know a year or two away before like she wasn't jenny from the block she was not jenny from the block no no she she and (laughs) ben affleck were not yet a thing uh you know look it up kids um and 
so so she was still on the rise as as a as a starring uh, actor is concerned. Clooney was post Batman, post ER, but not the huge movie star yet, right? He was still he was still in that stage of trying to make the leap from television to film and as much as many actors have been able to do that, um there's a lot that have really stumbled, right? Like if, if you look through the annals of television star history, and I'm looking at you, Catherine Heigl, there are a lot of actors who have had impressions of making a bigger career for themselves that just haven't been able to make it materialize. So Clooney wasn't even that big either. But then, like you say, around 2001, like three or four years later, we got J-Lo all of a sudden. We got Clooney being Danny Ocean all of a sudden. And people started going like, oh, hey, yeah, I remember they did that movie a few years ago. So you're right. I think it, it for me, I think it was, it was the increased star power. I think the other thing, too, is as much as people like you and I appreciate summertime counter-programming, I almost feel like it's a studio just taking a bullet. You know, I, I, I really, really do uh, nod at the cojones it takes to take a movie like this that could probably do really, really well in October um, or April even and drop it into June. And, you know, like, like really, truly, this thing came, this thing came out the end of June. This thing went head to head with Armageddon. It stood no chance. No well, chance. Put it this way. I remember Armageddon that summer. I remember going to watch it. I remember enjoying myself. I still watch that movie anytime I can. I love that movie. Yeah. I don't remember this movie when it came no. out. No. I mean, this is a movie I, yeah, that I, I discovered years I, later. Right? Yeah, I, I didn't see this in a theater either. If I, if I told you I saw this in a theater, I'd be lying. I still haven't seen this in a theater ever. And it's one of my favorite movies. So, you know, obviously, like, we're, we're kind of dancing around the topic. Obviously, you know, you rewatched it for this show. You dig this movie. Yeah, I do. I, I, I quite like this movie. Uh, anything and my only you? complaint is that we're not pairing this movie to discuss with the episode of Justified where Karen Sisko showed up. The, the key question, of course, does Ray Nicolette show up in that show? Ray Nicolette? No. Actually, because that is, that is the one beautiful thing about this show, about this movie that we must discuss off the top, is that this, the was, this was the first film universe thank you very much because they brought in <laughs> michael keaton playing the same character that he had played in jackie brown the year before in a totally different film do you have a shirt that says undercover oh <laughs> uh, that is the case. i love me some dennis farino I, um I, I, yeah. no one talks about it but where i first watched dennis farino was this crappy detective tv show that he did i think it was on cbs when i was really young where it was almost as if the joke was that he came out of a time capsule or something because he was pretending like he was in like a a swinging 40s detective pi mode oh, but he was yes. in modern day cops <laughs> uh, I, I yeah I, that, that i'm was... sure it's horrible but like every time I see Dennis Farina, that's what pops into my head. <laughs> that was, you know, like yeah, the first time we, the first time Nicolette pops up, he looks over Karen Sisko's shoulder and he's like, "Oh, Wyatt Earp is here." Uh, it's, it's, it, it, yeah. That was one of the things I, I thought about when I rewatched the movie this week was how much I miss Dennis Farina. This is a movie that you know, I when I first came across it on on video in like the fall of '98. 
I liked it a lot. And then I kept watching it and kept watching it. I remember I had that poster, that orange poster on my wall, uh, when I, when I was in college and now it's, it's like, it's an all time top 10 movie for me. Um, both for just how well it's constructed, how well, how well the acting goes so far down the line. Like, you know, you saw how many names I rhymed off there and not all those names are recognizable on first watch. It was, it was, it was a lot of that guys and a lot of that girls. And as time went on, they really, really rose to prominence. I, I mean, like Viola Davis has one scene and as Viola Davis is known to do, she steals it. Um, I, I, I noted her rewatching it this time. I'm like, Oh, look at you there. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and I, and I think, and, and so, you know, as I said, until now it's, it's, it's really, it's a top 10 movie for me. Um, I think, you know, one of the things I like about it is that it's, in a lot of ways it is a heist movie, but it's not really about the heist. You know, it's, it's, there, there's so much talk about this score of uncut diamonds that they're going to, that they're going to go and try and pull off, but it's almost really secondary to what's going on between Jack and buddy and what's going on between Jack and Karen and what's going on between Karen and the FBI. Like the actual score is basically just an excuse to get all the principal players into one place i like how you mentioned that this this movie is like a series of names and for some reason i could be wrong my brain could have just collapsed in the last five minutes i don't think you named albert brooks when you named out i did he was the last one he's the last guy but i love (laughs) him in this movie that he he's the guy who like later i kind of recognized and be like look at you beating this movie albert brooks doing your thing yeah right um and I don't know if you want to jump right into it, but the thing that this movie always hangs on that everyone, that's the first thing people need to get out of the bat with it are the two iconic, um, Karen and, um, Foley scenes. Sure. Um, right. The, the trunk and the, and the bar, the bar scene, right. Where we're given these long extended exchanges where they're kind of connecting and you're watching it going that's a cop and a robber who should be shooting each other in the face right now, handcuffing each other and doing all sorts of nefarious things. But they're taking a break to just have this moment because either in the trunk, she's biding time and hoping that eventually she'll get her moment to, to do what she should do as her, as her occupation requires. Um, and he's just going like, well, I'm here. Why not talk to this girl? And hopefully something can snap about it. Um, weirdly enough. And then the bar scene, when it gets a little bit even more questionable, when they're like, we're just going to take a break and have this conversation. And I don't know. I, I know personally, when I watch that scene, the bar, the bar bedroom scene that, that I kind of watch it questionably looking at it going like, this is all a dream in their heads. This is all fantasy. A lot of people play up the the bedroom part as the fantasy, hmm. um, where they're not sure. And I mean, the movie doesn't quite explicitly have to tell you outright whether it's real or not. And it could or couldn't be. It doesn't really matter. It's still a wonderful scene. Um, but that is the true benefit of this film is it's not necessarily the actions that go on. It's the way people actually communicate to one another, which is definitely the benefit that I've found with almost any Elmore Leonard property. 
that's been adapted into TV or movies. Yeah. Um, it's always the way people talk to one another, not necessarily the, the snappy dialogue, the way we will talk about like a Juno, but just the way people actually communicate back and forth. This is a great movie for what I call playing away from the ball. Right. So, so if you, if you follow any, any sport, uh, basketball, football, uh, soccer, hockey, you'll hear about football. Yeah. Yeah. European football. When I say football in, 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 in American football, there's not a whole lot of play away from the ball. Um, but you know, there's things going on that do not involve possession that still facilitate the end goal. And it's things like watching the way Ving Rames reacts to the various things that Jack Foley says, or even the, you know, watching Jack Foley react to a lot of the ways that, um, Glenn Michaels, Steve Zahn's character says his things. Like you can see just how pissed off he is at so much of what Glenn is saying. And just, he doesn't want to show it because he's a professional and he's staying composed. Now this is possibly at its Zenith in those two scenes when, Foley or Karen are speaking, watch the other listen, right? Like it's, these are scenes that I gotta believe were just shot over and over and over so that they could get natural reactions to what was being said. Um, because a lot of times, and it's not always, sometimes it's in the eyes, but a lot of times it's in the body language too, in that, in that bar scene. Um, they're both really intimate in the way that they handle that glass of bourbon. Uh, you know, it, it's almost like that glass of bourbon is kind of emblematic of the whole moment and, you know, knock it too hard and it's going to, it's going to shatter. Um, but that whole scene along with, first of all, being unbelievably hot, both of those scenes are sexy as hell. Um, that bar scene especially kind of reminds me of what would happen in heat if Al Pacino and Robert De Niro were a male and a female in that diner, you know, a cop and a crook having a moment where it's like, no, we're two people. Um, yeah. It's, it's Vincent Hanna. Yeah. Thank you. If Hannah and Macaulay, if they were a male and a female, that scene would play very, very differently than it does. Um, you know, it's again, it's not all about the heist and, and this movie is for moments like that, for how they react, for how they talk on the phone too. Cause there's, you know, one or two phone conversations that happen between them. Um, it's it's really incredible. I, I think, you know, a lot of that comes down to the way Elmore Leonard wrote this movie. I, I've always been sad that Hollywood kind of, they did their, their small handful of really good Elmore Leonard movies, and then they just decided to screw a whole bunch up. Um, I also really think it comes down to how Steven Soderbergh approaches this kind of movie. He, he'd done a lot of interesting things early in his career. Like he had sex lies and videotape and he had Kafka and Skatsopolis, but this was really his jumping off point for what we now consider Soderbergh esque. I like how you say that. Like he did Kafka, he did Skatsopolis, he did sex lies on videotape, those things over there. No, no, they were, they were good. <laughs> but I mean, if he had kept directing and he, and he, trust me, he went back to this that is, a lot. This is the beginning of populist Soderbergh, which but, I'm fine with. But it's both, the thing is both Soderbergh are great. Yeah, he's so good at his populist stuff. Like I, I wish more populist movies were directed by him because he crafts them so well, like shit. When's the last time you watched Haywire? 
um, a couple of years ago. That movie's incredible. I love that movie. You know, and that that was the movie that introduced me to Gina Carano and reminded me, if you get people who can actually fight, your fight movies are awesome. Yes, yes. And that's the thing. <laughs> it's, it's just pretty much a shoot 'em up fight 'em up movie. But it's so good. And that's, that's the thing. This is a heist movie with some sex thrown in. And it's just – it's executed just, you know, so damn well because of all this talent that he gets around him, because of how well he – shoots it because of how well he cuts it. He's got this really um, kooky way of cutting it. Like there's a lot of scenes that kind of hold like about five frames before moving on, you know, which could seem gimmicky in the hands of another director. Which is the exact thing that kind of makes the bar scene so weird and so questionable, the way that it's edited where you'll have the conversation going and then, like five seconds longer than you thought it would cut over to them in the bedroom. And then it would cut back and you'd kind of be lost where you're like, where am I right now? Uh Is the con is the sex scene like a juxtaposition or mental projection of what the bar conversation is, is the bar conversation, the juxtaposition, are they both real? Like it's never really clear, but it's in the edit as to why it does that. And it's better for it for not being clearly edited the way that any normal film would have been. Yeah. It's now, you know, we, we talked about them earlier. Do you have one favorite supporting actor in this movie? Cause like, like we said, this is a cast that goes and goes and goes. Do you, do you have one favorite supporting player? I used to always go for Steve Zahn because I felt in general Steve Zahn didn't get enough love in life. Yeah. Right. I'm always more and more disappointed that Steve Zahn isn't really a thing. I actually see that he has a new TV show coming up now, but it looks bad. Okay. Um, That's sad. <laughs> um, and uh, I like I really love Steve Zahn, but rewatching this movie this time around, the guy who I felt the most love for was Don Cheadle. Yeah. And. Uh, and I feel weird because one of the things that I never remembered as strongly before rewatching it just now was just how stupid Don Cheadle and his crime, <laughs> his crime posse is at the end of this movie. Oh, like, come on. Where, where's your love for white boy Bob? <laughs> like, like my favorite is, is the shot of them like attempting to open the safe, all three of them pointing at the <laughs> safe with their guns going like, we're not going to shoot each other. Right now. <laughs> You could almost see a three-way ricochet coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh man, he's he's so good in this movie. It was kind of, kind of funny. I was I came away from this movie really wanting to watch that Kendrick Lamar video again just to watch him dancing and rapping. I mean, Don Cheadle makes anything better. First of all, that, that's that's the problem with the world today is that there's not nearly enough Cheadle. Um, for me, this time around though, it's it's always been a guy who I gravitate to in, in a movie like this. But I don't know why. I, I think I was just listening to him a little bit more clearly and catching a lot of what he was saying. Luis Guzman as uh, Chino in this movie. Uh, you know, <laughs> he's he's another one which I I always want to give more love to Luis Guzman. Oh, he's he makes e- again he makes everything better. I if you want literally find- the only person that's missing from this movie, um, is oh my brain is the worst today. Um, love, love is strange. Um, 
Alfred Molina. He's literally the oh, only person shit. of that yeah. list who's not oh, in my this God. movie. That, that would just be an embarrassment of riches if Alfred Molina was in this movie. Um, Luis Guzman, though, first of all, if you ever want to see the Luis Guzman performance, see if you can track down a movie called Welcome to Collinwood, and he's incredible in that movie. It's it's kind of a dumb movie, but he's amazing in it. Um, but Luis Guzman, like when, when Karen Sisko takes him down and arrests him for breaking an entry, and he's like, wow you are mean i'm gonna get my lawyer this is a human rights violation i'm i lose it every time you know while he's trying to break in and basically you know either kill or assault celeste played by katherine keener he's he's so funny this movie is so good i can't believe that there are still people out there who haven't seen it i can't believe it wasn't a bigger hit at the time i i I use any excuse i can to watch it i I also can't believe it took me you know (laughs) eight years of doing this show before i finally got to talk at length about out of sight it took you eight years of podcasting to use your podcast as an excuse to watch Out of Sight again. Exactly. That's what I'm saying, man. Um, well, we're not going to rate this movie because that would just be silly. Um, but we will choose a souvenir. So, and, I, and I've sprung this on you, so you may have to think for a minute. If you could. <laughs> I should have prepared for this uh, because it, I should have you know, It's not like you're a first timer. If you could take something tangible or intangible from Out of Sight and keep it as a souvenir, what would it be? I'd want the theoretical undercover shirt that Ray Nicolette has in his closet. You know what? I guess what you're getting next Christmas uh, <laughs> from Canada. You think I'm kidding? Um, mine is mine is less theoretical and more tactile. I want fully Zippo. Um, I, I don't smoke, but I got a thing for lighters and especially Zippos. And after I saw this, like I, I did, anytime I got my hands on a Zippo, start doing that little fidget of popping the lid, snapping your fingers to light it and then snapping it shut. And, you know, like they're, they're, they're talking about now how there's these little fidget doodads that keep. Oh, geez. Yeah. I don't need one of those. I just need a Zippo because why would you have one of those when you could have something that's got fire inside? Why would you have one of those full stop? Well, there's that too. (laughs) Obviously we both think that you should get your hands on out of sight um track it down it's on demand it's on netflix it's it's out there in the world um hey listen buy it you know i know we're in an age where we're not owning as much media um but if you want to buy yourself a digital copy or buy yourself a hard copy i really think this is the kind of movie that people should have look, um, look. because it, it it is the gift that keeps on giving people I watched it on YouTube, and we live in an age where me saying I watched it on YouTube doesn't mean I pirated it. Yeah. I actually paid YouTube to watch this movie, there we go. and I was happier for it. Yeah, there we are. Um, hey, maybe we're crazy. Maybe you're one of the people who does not like Out of Sight. I would love to hear from you and hear about why. Um, or maybe you think that we're being you know, not nearly good enough to this movie and that this thing is a modern masterpiece. Let me know. Ryan at the matinee.ca, Twitter where I'm matinee underscore CA or Facebook.com slash dark matinee. What do you think of Out of Sight? Steven Soderbergh's gem from 1998. It's been almost 20 years since that thing, man. Time flies. Holy crap. But come on back, because speaking of time flying, it is time for the other side. We're going to turn the record over and talk about two more movies right after this. Time is really wasted. There's no guarantee. Sit on the 
We're back. He's Andrew Robinson. I'm Ryan McNeil. You're on episode 177 of the Matinee Cast. We were just talking about Out of Sight, one of my all-time favorite movies. And uh, this is the part of the show where we pick companion films to go along with the main feature. And just to be different today, I am going to start the other side discussion with my choice to go along with Out of Sight. I went back to 1975 to a modern classic by Sidney Pollack. Uh, I chose Three Days of the Condor, um, film starring Robert Redford and Faye Dunaway, um, about a CIA agent who is mostly just there to read material and find out if there's plots within books that the CIA can employ or if there's plots that the CIA is already employing that happens to be part of a book. And uh, his whole unit gets wiped out and leaving just him uh, on the run to try and piece together what's going on i andrew robinson i gotta imagine that my choice of three days of the condor was pretty self-evident when i suggested that we watch it for this episode i think it's between the fact that they actually name check the movie in in out of sight as right. well as the fact that i think it's your personal fantasy <laughs> to be a CIA somebody agent who, who gets paid to so read so many books that you're the best CIA agent you know, without any training. I, I gotta admit, when I when I when I reminded when I got reminded of that part of the plot, I did say to myself, "That's the dream," <laughs> you know. And, and as much as I listen, as much as I joke about the doctor saying you're a moly dude, he did ask me about the book I was reading and take a picture of the cover of it so that he could go looking for it later. So I'm like, OK, you're a you're a person with potential and, and you're a doctor. <laughs> um, but yes, it was specifically because this movie gets name checked in out of sight. So, you know, we've got that relationship between Jack and Karen uh, we have a somewhat similar relationship in this movie between Joseph Turner and Kathy Hale. That's Redford and Dunaway. Um, not in the cop and robber way so much as the captor, Cap D, um, momentarily. And then, you know, he's able to explain, I'm on your side. I just happen to have, like, crashed into your orbit. And I'm sorry about that. And then things go- get real. Um, with Kung Fu Mailman. With Kung Fu Mailman, yeah. Um you know what? You know what it is. I like that. I like movies that are in a world where other movies exist. And it makes sense. I uh, I I really loved in the Captain America series where they finally showed people actually being fans of Captain America. Yeah, yeah, wearing the t-shirts and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. As and, opposed to these people just being in vacuums. But yeah, I I do like that a lot. Yeah. So so that's you know the 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 great sexy conversation that we were talking about um you know we we talked a lot about the bar scene in the previous segment we didn't talk as much about the trunk and when uh you know when um george clooney and jennifer lopez are locked in that trunk and they're talking about all sorts of things they happen to start talking about movies and they talk about this little triple feature of faye dunaway movies of bonnie and clyde uh three days of the condor and network network but it's it's three days of the condor that really jumps out at me because they have the kind of chemistry in out of sight that you see between Redford and Dunaway in three days of the condor. And you can also imagine people watching out of sight for the first time, seeing the same thing JLo says, which is like, I don't really get how they kind of fall in love that quickly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, which is, which is crazy because so, so she says, you know, (laughs) out loud, which is cool. Again, very meta and a nice little twist where she says, I never really believed that they would get together so fast. And as if on cue, when I watched this movie this afternoon, 
Lindsay happened to be in the room and watched Redford and Dunaway get together after he unties her. Like he has held her at gunpoint and like, you know, tied her to a chair. And the moment he gets, he like, which she explicitly asked him not to. Yeah. The moment he lets her out of this slipknot, she is all over him. And Lindsay's like, (laughs) Lindsay looks at the TV screen. She's like, a dude wrote this movie, didn't he? (laughs) So yeah, the same way that we don't necessarily believe that Karen and Jack would get together. Although, you know, we go with it because they're beautiful people and it's shot really, really sexily we don't necessarily believe that Turner and Hale would get together in this movie. Um, like now I, I I'm jumping ahead here. Did you dig three days of the condor? I did. I, I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> you, you sound surprised. Well, I mean when the movie began, like it was a movie that I was actually looking forward to when you mentioned it, as I, as I said, it was a movie that I've had on deck for a while. Um, because I'm like, I'll watch anything with Robert Redford in it. Um, and when it began, I was I was totally into it. The the setting of like that office space and kind of seeing um, Robert Redford kind of talk with all of the people around him, being like, "I'd be cool to watch a spy movie with with all of these people and see it become Mission Impossible." Even though I didn't quite know that that wasn't the type of spy we were dealing with mm-hmm. yet at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once it was all wiped out, I'm like, "Oh, damn it." Where did all those people that I like go? <laughs> um, but then it got into it got into the whole trope of just the guy who doesn't trust anyone trying to figure out how he got missed and how he's going to survive this whole thing. And it was a pretty enjoyable movie. I liked Max von Sydow as the the lead assassin. Yeah. Um, and I can't remember his name, but the guy who plays like the lead of the CIA kind of role. I know it's not really that, but he's like the head guy who's not in on it. Cliff and, Robertson. Yeah. Um, and I remember, I remember when um, Captain America: Winter Soldier came out. Everyone was referencing this movie, and I always kind of shrug, shrug those off because I'm like, yeah, really, you're not really doing that for this dumb comic book movie. Um, but it does kind of feel a lot like that, a lot like the the system within the system kind yeah. of movie. Um, and it does play to the 70s strength of kind of ending on these notes where they're like, yeah, that's where we're going to stop it because that's all the movie we wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's we're not going to do this modern thing of just trying to kill everyone. We're just kind of like, yeah, it's that bad. The system is that bad. Yeah, and we're and I, there. I, think, I think that was the thing in the seventies. Like it actually, this is the strangest thing to say, but if, if there's one thing that gives me hope in these very, very surreal times that we find ourselves in, it's that I'm waiting for the great movies to start because all of this political and social unrest that was going on, especially in America in the 1970s gave birth to these movies that are just aging so damn well and i'm talking about movies like this and um dog day afternoon and nashville and serpico and on and on and on down the line you know even even things like um taking a pelham one two three french connection there's all these really really great movies out of the 70s that all kind of come from this grimy grimy system 
that was running America at the time. And I'm kind of hoping that now America is back in the hands of a very grimy, grimy system that maybe we'll get some good art out of it. Um, and and, and uh, you're right. It's, it's not, yeah, it's, it's, it's on the one hand, it's, you're not, like one of those people who hope comedians get depressed. So you get a really great special. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, you know, you're right. It's, it's a movie that ends without, completely finishing the story it's actually got a great final shot too um and it's it's because it you know the, the it's just it's the story that could keep on going and keep on going and keep on going it kind of reminds me of um did you ever see uh charlie wilson's war yeah i i remember loving that movie and, at and the there's time. you know and there's the parable that gets told by by phil seymour hoffman at the end of mm-hmm. oh how wonderful we'll see or oh how terrible we'll see that's what this movie is this movie ends with a we'll see you know when we get when we get to that point um and you're right it is you know not just because robert redford is in both it's actually a great it would make a great companion piece to anybody who loves winter soldier because it's it's it it takes that kernel of an idea and hangs a comic book movie on it. And for my money, Marvel still hasn't done a better movie than Winter Soldier. That's that's the that's the rabbit that they're still chasing. I'd be willing to 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 put my chips in with that one. All right. <laughs> um and then of course, you know, on top of the fact that they mentioned this movie within the movie, um I actually feel like this movie really informed um out of sight. Like if you look again in this movie at the way characters play off the ball like the way that redford looks and reacts anytime he's in trouble it really emulates what jack foley does there's a lot of times where shit's getting real and you watch jack foley kind of doing the math um same thing with with um you know faye dunaway as kathy hale the way that um karen cisco reacts to a lot of what's going on around her hale is a little bit more fragile than than cisco is like cisco is a really really uh tough woman whereas hale she's not she's not she's certainly not a damsel but at the same time she's not as you know tough as nails as karen is so i I really feel like that style also makes this movie a good companion piece because it informs out of sight one of the things that I really loved about this movie, and I think I can kind of say I really love about movies from this time um, that they did really well that I don't feel they do as well anymore are character introductions. Mm. And just the way that that whole opening sequence plays out where we have um, Redford going through that office and you learn about everyone so quickly. Yeah. And then even the way that the villains are introduced in their silhouettes and their 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 mirrors from the puddles of water on the street to you knowing exactly what's about to happen before it happens and you you get a clear understanding of who is who and what is what going on i i love it when movies do it like this well it's funny because you know compare compare that to a movie that's set in a similar era and and a movie that we're supposed to know the characters so much better compare that introduction to the introduction of the entire embassy in argo <laughs> you know, I, I I like Argo a lot actually, but it takes so much longer to understand the impetus and the thrust of that entire little brood than than it does for for characters who are basically all about to be summarily killed. 
you know i feel i feel argo is one of those movies that i remember at the time everyone's like yeah we're on board with this and then slowly as the years go away we're chipping off that block no 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 i'll I'll still take it but i just mean you know not all great movies are created equal and this is a much greater movie much greater great movie than argo is um just as i said like you know you just you just put it out there you are introduced to six staffers at this cia safe house uh you know this basically this this cia base that are all going to get killed inside of 15 minutes of this movie and yet you learn everything that you need to know about all of them meanwhile you've got a film over here where you're going to hang on to these characters the entire running length and it takes a long ass time to really understand what everybody is all about and what they do you know that that's it's that that's kind of what i love in terms of the difference between you know, yeah, you're do, you're doing a great little job there, Ben Affleck, but you're not at the level of Sidney Pollack, who directed this movie. I guess. Yeah. So there we go. Yeah. If you if you love Out of Sight, and you've never seen Three Days of the Condor. Watch it um, because Karen Sisko talks about how much she digs it, um, <laughs> and and it's a great movie. It's 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 a 1970s gem that I think is kind of getting lost to time, and uh, and it's a good watch. But we've got one more movie to talk about, and. Uh, Gird your loins. It was Andrew's pick. <laughs> we'll be right back after this to talk about one more film and close out the show. Come on back. choice on the other side we went all the way back we stayed in the 70s actually we actually came forward in time to 1979 a uh, anime film out of the is this ghibli no this is this is this is hayao miyazaki um i this was actually not produced by ghibli it was, was done ghibli by mango yet uh, ghibli was not around yet there, okay so that answers that question andrew's choice is from 1979 it predates studio ghibli but it is hayao miyazaki it is the castle of uh cagliostro uh this is like a part three of something right no it is not it is not part three um the character is lupon the third oh um, that's so okay, that's the sorry. actual character's name i thought it was it's like actually, I, thought, I thought you're dropping me into like part three of a trilogy i'm like why no, are you doing this it's it's actually a long-running series um in japan it had a really long-running manga um Miyazaki actually created the first anime series for it. So if you go all the way back to the 70s, um, you can watch the first series of Lupin the Third, and that was all Miyazaki's work. And then he came into this movie. Um, And there are a lot of movies and series out there for this. Like, it's never ending. Um, I call, in my mind, I call Lupin the Third the Japanese James Bond, (laughs) because it's just random stories that happen. You have the same series of characters, but it's just another heist going on. Another, another so, so, treasure so, to be blundered. Right. So Lupin is a is a thief, a flamboyant thief. Um, him and his little brood are trying to free a princess from a castle, basically from a count's uh, kidnapping in a castle. It's kind of like a video game with a plot. Um, 
I'll, I'll, oh shit! I'm, I I'm should gonna... do that one time. I should pick a video game and have you play oh, that. Oh no, 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 no! That that ain't happening. I'm not watching Assassin's Creed. Uh uh-uh. uh. Um, you you'd have an easier time getting me to play Assassin's Creed than you would. No, that's me. what I'm saying. I should make you play a video game and oh, come on oh, here. And it's, that. it's not that long a show, dude. Um, so I had you know the obvious question, and I actually did ask it to you as soon as you suggested this movie. Why are we watching this in connection with Out of Sight exactly? Um, gentleman thieves. Like, if there's one thing you can say about about Jack Foley, he is a gentleman thief. Someone asks him uh, uh, the first time we meet him, not the first time, but an early scene we meet um, Albert Brooks. He he tells him he's a bank robber, and Albert Brooks is like, "Oh, that life of taking a gun into a bank and sticking up some people." And he's like, "I've never used a gun." He just goes in and asks for it nicely, um, and that's kind of who Lupin is, even though he uses a gun. He's he's this flamboyant character who calls out when he's going to rob someone and still robs them um he is the kind of guy kind of like oceans 11 ocean 12's um night fox just in anime form um (laughs) (laughs) um, that's a reach but okay <laughs> and he he loves it. He 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 has his crew of people. Um, I know this movie doesn't really introduce them in ways where they're like, "This is what this guy is." But it's kind. As I said, it's, like it's a, a long running thing. That it's like the anti. Uh, <laughs> it's like the anti three days of the Condor. Right. Um, he has his friend Jigen, who's like the best shot in the world. He has Goemon, this samurai who is always saying the same thing that he has to cut things that are not worthy of his sword um, <laughs> because the sword is the greatest sword ever. Right. Um, and it, the Fujiko is actually another member of the gang who steps in and out, who's always working against slash with um, Lupin, who they're kind of love interests with. And the truth of the matter is that if you go from series to series and movie to movie, director to director, they're all different kind of variations of how these movies go. It gets raunchy as hell sometimes with the Fujiko and Lupin um, relations. Um, and it gets comedic as hell other times. But it's always this light folly of a heist team. And then you add in Zenigata, the, the police officer who's just down to get Lupin. Um, it's it's one of these things where I can tell you that in your mind, if you picture the Saturday morning cartoon version of this, it is that. But I, it's it's one of these. It's one of the few animes that I keep close to my heart, and not just generally on like this movie only thing, but like the character hmm. that. I, for the life of me, if you tell me there's a Lupin movie out there that I haven't seen, and I'm sure there are more than a few, I'm going to track it down and find it, even if it's horrible, because I did sincerely love these characters. <laughs> See, now, I like you can probably hear the 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 um, condescension in my voice for making me watch <laughs> this movie, um, but I, I do have like a genuine question that I, I don't know the answer to, so I, I was going to ask this: Have any of the stories of Lupin been made into live action? There is one. Is it any that good? I'm aware of? I haven't seen it yet, but I I have it there waiting to watch and. I'm pretty sure it's bad. <laughs> okay. See, because okay, I you know I I didn't really enjoy this movie. I I got it and I went along with it, but you know my my relationship with anime is still a little timid, and this is on the wrong side of the line for me. Unfortunately, um, this I listen. If I had to come to anime as a 16 year old, I would have eaten this up. I absolutely. I mean, I I definitely came to anime as like a 14 year old with all of my stuff yeah it's, it's funny it, 
it's funny because the other uh, a week or two ago we were getting ready to do something on a Saturday and Lindsay is taken to watching cartoons on Netflix on a Saturday morning and she was watching old episodes of She-Ra and I'm thinking to myself if you had to put this on after She-Ra I would have been all over this. <laughs> well you just need to queue up She-Ra and then no. pick another <laughs> <laughs> No. Um but but that said I was like you know as this movie went along and I was watching all of like these chase scenes and all of these like things. I was wondering what would have happened to you at that beginning when he just rides up the side of the mountain at that point you're just like what did Andrew do <laughs> no I, no I, I was still in it then it was kind of when it got to the castle to be honest. like it's right there in the title so I really can't <laughs> I can't like throw stones and say it was unexpected but I, I, I guess maybe I thought it was more metaphorical um, I t- but I, I, I was I was liking it in the beginning when it was like a chase and they had all the money spilling out and they were like you know trying to chase after the girl that was all doing it for me and as i said i was watching that and saying to myself i would love for somebody like christopher nolan to take a shot at this um but you know if you're telling me that the live action lupin is not as good that's that's a little sad um you know i think the other thing too is when we pair this up you know you mentioned the gentleman thief i wanted there's so there's there's two female characters. There's the princess, and then there's this other blonde kind of more badass. Who is she? Fujiko. Fujiko. I wanted more of her. Oh, th- there's actually a series that of came out like two or three is. years ago. <laughs> two or three years ago, which focused a lot on Fujiko, and I quite liked it. It was very it was very strange. Um, dealt with a lot of mind craziness, and it was it was quite lovely. Mm. Which you'll never watch, but that's fine. No, but that well, maybe because as I said, like I want, I want more stories involving her, uh, especially coming away from out of sight, and you know, even slightly coming away from something like um, from Three Days of the Condor, um, because that was like that was really the big takeaway for me when I got into anime a few years ago were some of the female characters and how cool they were, and I'm thinking about stuff like. Uh, you know, Princess Mononoke, obviously, and Paprika, and the girl who jumped through time. I wanted, you know, to use the term, I wanted a tougher broad. It, is so out of curiosity, have you gotten around to watching Your Name yet? The the big hit from the last year in Japan. Uh, it's been on my. It's been on my. Like you know, I've, I've been keep meaning to go see it, but I, I think I missed my chance. Why is, uh, that, is that another one? That one? movie is great. Okay. I, I will if I don't if I don't catch it in a the theater I will do my darndest to make sure that I see it before the end of the year. Uh, why is that one that's got a badass female character? It is um, a guy and a girl, and they, it's actually kind of a swap body movie, so they're kind of equal time. Oh, okay. Um, but they're just great characters. Ah, okay. Um, yeah, you know, like I, I'd like to think that I'm kind of proud of how far I've come with anime. Uh, since I started uh, writing about film all those years ago, but um, nah, there's still moments where this one didn't do it for you, and that you know that's, that's the, the, the mind is willing, but the body rejects it. <laughs> well, you know, there's always other opportunities. I'm sure they'll slowly sneak their way in, like I, especially if you decide to do something like go if if you decide to go down the road of being all about like let me pick what people call the best filmmakers so i'm i'm assuming you've seen enough miyazaki at this point where you have a decision on him oh yeah right? yeah i love him i love him i do yeah but like you probably haven't seen much satoshi khan you mentioned paprika right right 
but I'm sure you haven't seen Perfect Blue or no. um, his other big movie, Tokyo Godfathers. Nope. Nope. So, so. Me- <laughs> maybe you go down that road a little bit. I can I don't know, hear the glee in your voice. Like it, it, this, this, this podcast is not the let's get Ryan to watch a whole lot more anime show. That's not that's not what this experiment is about. Well, it's this podcast is Andrew's attempt to get Ryan to watch more anime and hopefully trick him into playing a video game one day. I, listen, I will play it. You will you will not like the results. I will um, laugh, and that I, will be the yes, result. You I'll yep. <laughs> yep. You, you know. You know the. Listen. You know how there's those all those YouTube clips of somebody playing, and it's like basically their feed. You would watch that YouTube clip of me playing any game you name endlessly. <laughs> yes. The, I would. Yep. The play count on that would be through the ceiling. Um, but uh, you know, thank you though. I, I, you know, as much as I, I say it wasn't my thing, I, I still enjoyed my time um, with the movie. I wasn't bored. It had some great visuals, some great stories. I am kind of curious to read the manga, to be honest. And I've never really gotten into that. So maybe you know that's your success. Oh, and by the way, the series I was talking about that focused on Fujiko is called Lupin the Third, a woman called Fujiko Mine Mine. Um, and it's like 10 episodes, I think, 13 episodes. And it's it's it, the animation is very different and it's really interesting. What year, Especially is, what year if, is it from? Um, it Ish. was 2012. Oh, okay. That, that, all right. Because I, I needed to get out of the 70s, man. I, I was feeling a little <laughs> – I'm like, man, I, I, that, I, I think as I recognize I said, this It was style. a very recent series. Like I remember it was the last few years I saw it and it was, it was, a, it was a very different look on it because it focused a lot more on her. Gotcha. Um, but it was it was more of a mystery, and it had the action adventure thing in it. But it it definitely was about her. All right. Well, that is episode 177 of the Matinee Cast. Thank you very very much for listening and uh, celebrating my birthday with me, and for sticking around. I know it's not always easy to stick with um, websites and podcasts that kind of come and go and fits and starts, but I do appreciate you sticking around. Um, and uh, I am back on track for the summer and the rest of 2017. So. I should have lots more content for you soon. Um, episode 178, speaking of, will drop on Monday, June the 12th. Um, not sure what we're talking about just yet. There are some indie movies that are coming through. Uh, things like Certain Women that I kind of want to talk about or possibly Bad Batch or Buster's Malheart. Hey, listen, we all, we may very well go for it and talk about Wonder Woman. I do not know. Andrew Robinson can be found. Uh, are you weekly or are you fortnightly? We are weekly slash fortnightly. Okay. Uh, on, <laughs> we plan weekly. On, we uh, sometimes come out fortnightly. On the Unnamed Movie Podcast, <laughs> Tump, not to be confused with Trump, what episode are you guys dropping next? Um, we're going to be dropping an episode on Asar Farhadi's The Salesman. Ah, so so by the that. time you hear this... By the time you hear this episode, that will be the latest episode out. Nice. And I know the following episode will be Get Out. Oh, sweet. I can't wait to hear you guys <laughs> talk about that movie. Um, and if people want to find you on Twitter, where can they find you? Um, I'm at Gman Reviews. And the site is gmanreviews.com. Go there. There is still some sporadic writing, um, but of course, it's also the home of Tump. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. And if anything doesn't work, go to Andrew because he's my tech support. You can also <laughs> find them on Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, and iTunes Store. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Out of Sight 
the Miyazaki film or Three Days of the Condor can be left in the comments section of the blog. You can email ryan at thematinee.ca, Twitter, or I'm matinee underscore CA, or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Mr. Robinson? More anime, more video games. For Andrew, I'm Ryan. <laughs> we'll see you at the matinee.